and welcome back to the Euro Trips Football Podcast. We're back after a couple of weeks off, and we bring with us a new twist to the episodes. I'm your host, Andy, and I'm this week, as ever, joined by Ryan and Naeem. How are you, boys? Doing very well, thank you. Good stuff. Ryan, you all good? Yeah, can't complain, mate. Great stuff, great stuff. So we mentioned we have a new, new twist of the podcast. We have, if you saw on our Twitter, you know we are back on our old feed now, and we have re-released and brought with us the new episodes we did on our new platform over to this one. So we are now back to the old platform you would have known before the start of this season, and we look to be on here for the foreseeable future and not looking to change again. Um, of course, we have mentioned there's a twist to the new series, so we'd like to change it up slightly and change the... Um, the routine of our normal podcast. So rather than giving you just results on what to look forward to, we're going to give a bit of a twist on our take on each week when it comes to our league. So obviously we'll still stick to our league. So I'll be sticking with the Premier League, Ryan Serie A, Naeem La Liga, and then uh, Jonathan Bundesliga uh, and Richard will be taking on the Eredivisie. Uh, but these two can't make it today. Uh, we will be hearing from Jonathan in a bit with his uh, thoughts on the current categories. But every week we're going to give you the following categories and we're going to go around each person and give you our take on certain things. So the categories we're going to go for for the rest of the year, goal of the weekend, moment of the weekend, game of the weekend, the moment that got you angry, changes to the league table and top goal scorers, if any, performance of the week, whether that's a team or an individual player. And for one week and one week only, we're giving you both the best and worst transfers from this window in our respective leagues, as, as of course, the window did close last night. So, um, before we get into any of our three votes today, or uh, sort of thoughts on each league, we're going to head straight to Jonathan. He's given us a voice note, and he's going to give us his take on those categories in the Bundesliga. To start things off, back in the Bundesliga after a very, very long wait following the Qatar World Cup. Um, I'm going to start things off, though, with match day 18. We're just going to go through this past weekend. A pretty solid wing weekend of Bundesliga football. I don't exactly have a goal of the weekend. I'm just going to go with Kareem on a Siwo of Mainz. Mainz is striker. He scored an open play hat track in their hat trick in their five two win over Bochum on Saturday. Um, this is a Mainz team that, without Jonathan Burkhart, has struggled at times in front of goal to score this season. And yes, Bochum, of course, is fighting for relegation, but still to put five past the team, uh, pretty impressive. And Anasiwo is is a really physical presence up front. Defenders have had trouble stopping him all the year, but it's just that finishing in front of goal. Can he do it on a consistent basis? And he had three really, really solid efforts uh, over the weekend. Big win for Mainz. Moment of the weekend has to be... For me, actually following the Berlin derby, so between Union and Hertha, Union won the game 2-0. That's their fifth straight Berlin derby victory over a Hertha team that was, you know, once absolutely demolishing Union when they even got a chance to play with Union constantly stuck. And whether it be the second division for a lot of the 2000s that we've seen or even the third division. Uh, but yeah, following the game... The fired sporting director, Freddie Bobich, uh, nearly just a couple hours after the game. A pretty shock move, to say the least. I mean, this was a guy who completely turned around Eintracht Frankfurt. And then Hertha, you know, the project enticed him enough to make that move to the capital. And, 
you know, it hasn't been the same for him. And, and you would think, oh, he would at least get to finish out a season, especially when the Capital Club have invested so much money into him. But it seemed like they didn't agree with his transfer strategy in the winter. Hertha are second to the bottom currently in that relegation zone. And they needed to make some sort of move. Unfortunately, though, even after they fired him, which is going to be my worst transfer of the week, just Hertha BSC in general. And so they didn't really do a lot more. They had more outgoings than they did have people come into the club. They spent less than a million euros. It was as if they were just threw a dart at a dartboard and just wherever it landed, they would say, hey, we're going to go for this guy. We're going to go for this guy. They had no real clear strategy. Um, and I think it very well could come up ending to haunt them in the long run. While we're on the topic, I'm going to go with best transfer of the window has to be Jao Cancelo to Bayern Munich. I mean, they it just fell into their lap, basically. They picked up the scraps from Manchester City. It, it seems like that Cancelo and Guardiola got in some sort of argument or some sort of set of disagreements over his playing time. You know, Rico Lewis has been starting at right back. Nathan Ake has seen time at left back. And so Cancelo, who I still believe is a world-class player, versatile, can play in the wing, can play at fullback, can really help out in defense. Uh, <laughs> they were able to get him on loan in a major Champions League match with PSG coming up. Benjamin Pavard has has been dropped from that right-back role. He's probably going to go to Barcelona over the summer. Josip Stanisic, you know, is a solid player, but he's seen more as a backup, especially at a team like Bayern Munich. Um, and the fact that they could get, get, could get Cancelo in, and it looks like that number in the summer of $70 million release clause is not set. So they will be able to get him for less if they choose to do so. So it's, uh, wow, what a steal. And, and when the rest of the Bundesliga gets some sort of bit of hope, Bayern just shut the door once again. And um, it's great business. Great business from them. Let's see. Game of the weekend. I'm going to have to go Gladbach over Hoffenheim. There weren't a lot of extremely close games on match day 18. But Daniel Farka and Gladbach has been under a bit of fire recently. They've been dropping down the table. And, you know, Hoffenheim been reeling as well a little bit. Andre Breitenreiter's on the hot seat there in 13th in the table. With the win, Gladbach are up into 8th. They just squeaked past Leverkusen, who lost 2-0 to Dortmund. Um... But a really good, confident win with a Gladbach team that is still extremely talented. Yes, they lost Jan Sommer to Bayern uh, for about 8 million euros, which is a pretty decent fee for a guy his age. I think he's about 33 or 34. A decent performance from them as they look to try and get back into Europe. I mean, remember, they were in the Champions League knockout stages against Manchester City back in 2020. This was only a couple years ago. You know, have haven't been to Europe since... It's been a long few years for Gladbach fans, and they still have a long ways to go with a very tight six at the top. So that's going to be uh, and that's going to be my performance of the week as well. But I mean, really, changes to the top of the table. Bayern still holds um, an advantage at the top, but it's only one point now over Union Berlin. RB Leipzig are at 35 points, just two points behind Bayern and Dortmund and Freiburg are tied at 34. So at the moment, the Bundesliga is looking extremely competitive. But as I always say, you know, I still believe Bayern have what it takes to win the title. And I think they're going to do that, especially now with Cancelo. I mean, daily blend on a, on a free. Yes, the Neuer injury hurts, but Don Summers... 
I think he's the top two, top three goalkeeper in the Bundesliga. He's that good. We've seen him for so many years on Gladbach. Be the sole reason why they're able to at least earn a point against the record champions. So it is looking tight at the top. Dortmund technically do have a chance. But I think Bayern is going to pull away when it comes down to the end. As we look to next weekend, Dortmund Freiburg is a game that stands out on Saturday. Köln Leipzig is one to watch. Köln have been so, so strange since they got back from the winter break. They defeated Werder Bremen 7-1 to open things off. And then nil-nil against Schalke. I mean, Schalke is absolutely horrific at the moment. I don't see any way they get out of the relegation battle, which is unbelievable. A club of their size is going to you know, have two relegations in, in three years in a row. Frankfurt versus Hertha is a good game. And of course, Wolfsburg versus Bayern. The Nico Kovac comeback story. Wolfsburg have been playing so well ever since October or so. Kovac was about a game away from getting fired. And now here he is back against his former club. He made a quick little, he made a little quip midweek saying that Union Berlin was a more difficult place to play in than the Allianz Arena with Bayern Munich, uh, which I think was a little shot at his former club. So that could be an interesting game on Sunday. Uh, but that pretty much does it. We'll see you guys next week. And thank you, Jonathan, for your take on the Bundesliga. Now, our next thing we're going to focus on is one that had has severely taken a massive change when it comes to the league. There's a massive gap now. We're heading to Serie A. Um, so, Ryan, that's what we're going to do first. So, for you, we're going to go, rather than go through each league one by one, we're going to go through each category one by one. So, the first one's going to be goal of the weekend. Now, Ryan, over to you. What was your goal of the weekend in Serie Um, I mean, there were, there were a fair few candidates, to be fair. As always, there was plenty of goals to choose from from the weekend's action, but uh, I have to go with uh, David Okereke, um for Cremonese. Scored a lovely goal against Inter. Um, although they ended up losing the game, the goal was to open up the scoring, and uh, it was a wonderful strike outside of the box, curled into the top corner. Really, really good goal. And uh, yeah, I think that was the one that stood out for me. Okay, and Nae, what was your highlight of goals of the uh, of the weekend? Yeah, so in the league, there wasn't it wasn't really a high scoring weekend. Uh, ten out of the ten, well, ten teams out of twenty kept clean sheets. Most most games ended one nil. So I had a, I had a short list of four, um, three of which were winners, like I mentioned, one nil um, throughout the board, but. My one uh, pick of the weekend was Sal Nuguez against Osasuna. Basically, Rodrigo De Paul, he picked up the ball from just outside the centre-half um, of pretty much the half of the pitch. He saw Sal Nuguez make a good run. Basically, it was kind of a bit bad defending. You know, players not um, tracking a runner. Played a long ball to Sal Nuguez. He chested it down, ran a little bit, and then in got inside the box and... Right foot finish into the bottom of the corner. Um, yeah, so that was my goal of the weekend. Like I said, wasn't really many goals scored this weekend. I think it was about 16 in total in all 10 games. But yeah, that was a pick of the bunch for me. Okay. Um, for me, obviously, this week was not Premier League. For me, it was the FA Cup. And for me, could have gone with the Jared Bowen goal against Derby. It was a very well-taken team goal. But for me, unless I've absolutely missed someone as obvious... Uh, my 
vote, my winner goes to Josh Lawrence for Stoke City. His goal against Stevenage. It was a brilliant goal. Um, of course, not a game that many people were watching. Maybe apart from the the diehards out there, that's Stoke or Stevenage fans or people who were at the game. But um, just a wonderful taking golf outside the box, killed in the top left corner in what was a routine win for Stoke City at the um, Britannia or whatever you can call it these days. Um, so our next category is the moment of the weekend. So we'll go back to Ryan for his moment of the weekend in Serie A. Again, there were plenty to pick from, but I think it had to be Danny Motta putting Monza, tuning it up away to Juventus. The first time in history that a newly promoted club has won both home and away fixtures against Juventus, which is an uh, incredible achievement for Monza. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a crazy game, obviously. A lot of off-field issues at the moment for Juventus, but um, Monza thoroughly, thoroughly deserved the win. And yeah, it was a lovely goal for uh, Danny Moore going around Chesney and uh, putting it in. Fantastic. And Naeem? My moment of the weekend has to be, well, Barcelona had played before Real Madrid the day before, but they have gone now five points clear of Real Madrid. Uh, both teams are playing within the next two days. Barcelona are playing tonight against Robertis away. Real Madrid playing tomorrow and they got uh, Valencia. So that would probably be my moment of the weekend simply because... You know, Real Madrid have dropped points in the last three games. Uh, one win in the last three. So they draw on the weekend. But, yeah, another little stat here as well. Barcelona, they've obviously played 18 games this season and they've kept 14 clean sheets and they've only conceded six goals. Um, so, yeah, they're doing very well. I also checked as well to see um, the best start after 19 games. I know they haven't played that yet. But they're in terms, of obviously... Obviously, from when the league started, that um the runs so far this season is the 16th best in the league. Um, the 2012-13 season for Barcelona, they had a better record. They played 18 and um have drawn one game. So yeah, they're on course for another good season. And yeah, it's, it's opened up the title race now. They've got a five-point gap. And yeah, if they win tonight, then it'll be eight points before Real Madrid play tomorrow. So for me. My moment of the week weekend is going to be a theme to my um to most of my ones this week. Um, for me, it was um the game between Wrexham and Sheffield United, and for me, the moment was was seeing Ryan Reynolds um the way he reacted to the goals because I have been someone who's been probably a cynic of the whole Wrexham thing with Ryan Reynolds and Rob McCallanay. I mean, it's um a club that's in a close close to my family roots since my mum grew up in North Wales. So, you know, they've always been the Welsh team I would follow the most out of the four, you know, even though I was born in Cardiff and live an hour away, I've always sort of leaned towards Wrexham. But I've always thought, you know, are these people, you know, these two well-established actors, are they doing it just for clout? Are they doing it just because they're doing a Netflix series? They want to just use a football club to basically fulfil their own agenda and fulfil their own, you know, uh, their own personal needs. But from what I saw, obviously, we all know Rob McKernay, he wasn't there, but obviously being Philadelphia, uh, for, for, if you're an NFL fan, you know exactly why he wasn't going to be in Mexico that weekend. 
Um, so Ryan Reynolds was there. He spoke to BBC beforehand with um, Shearer and Lineker. And I, I have to say that was my moment at the weekend because for me, it showcased to me that actually Ryan Reynolds does care. I think we, I, I think for me, it, the way he reacts to all the goals and the way he spoke so passionately about the club and about this game and the FA Cup before uh, before before the game started when he was talking to BBC. So for me, I think that was my moment in terms of just seeing someone who is well known for being involved in a whole different uh, sort of field of work. You know, he's known for his acting. And I think for me, that was just a brilliant um, thing for me to see. I think it was nice to see that, you know, he does care. Um, so the next one is going to be the game of the uh, of the weekend. So back to you, Ryan, with Syria. Yeah. Um, again, this was probably between two, if not three, games. Could have easily gone with Juventus, obviously, losing to Monza. And then there was Napoli at home to Roma, which was a really good game to watch as well. Saw a, a wonderful goal by Victor Osimhen, which, again, could have been um, goal of the weekend. But I went with Milan against Sassuolo, just simply because of the result. Now, for context, Milan have been on a really, really poor run of form um, since returning from the World Cup. You know, they've gone from Squadetto challenges to fifth now in the league. Really, really struggling. Really poor defensively at the moment. And they got beat at, at San Siro 5-2 by Sassuolo. A Sassuolo team, also for context, that hadn't won a game since October prior to winning that one. So that tells you everything you need to know from that game. And obviously, C7 goals, um, great performance by uh, by Sassuolo and particularly by Domenico Borradi, who just loves scoring against them. So, yeah, it was a crazy game. And uh, I think that's got to be my game of the weekend. Right, yeah, my game of the weekend in the Liga... Uh... I'm not really too sure. wasn't really too sure what I want to go for, but I actually went for a game that I didn't have any goals in, which was Real Madrid against Real Sociedad. Uh, going into the game, Real Madrid knew if they won the game, they could uh, close the gap to two points behind Barcelona. Real Sociedad, they knew if they won the game, they could go level one points with Real Madrid. But obviously, in the end, it ended nil nil. But it's one of those game, those nil nil draws that. You know, it had they had quite a few chances for both teams to actually go on and win the game, but you know, if the goalkeepers were in fine form in that game, quite a few shots that were just just went just inches wide of the post. But yeah, that, that game, you know, it was second versus third, and although there wasn't the goals to match it, um, yeah, it was still a quite entertaining game, and obviously the result is good for Sociedad because they're still behind Real Madrid. You know, they're they're chasing Champions League football. Uh, for the first time in uh, quite a few years. So, yeah, that was my game of the weekend. Um, yeah, nil-nil, but, yeah, entertaining nil-nil. So, my game of the weekend is, you know, no shock to you. I've just mentioned it. Wrexham, Sheffield United. I mean, there was no real shocks in the FA Cup, really. I mean, this almost was. Um, and, you know, it's, there was, wasn't really many other that exciting games. I mean, City-Arsenal definitely wasn't one of them. And... Yeah, so it's for me that was the obvious candidate. I mean, two at least three leagues apart. Uh, I think it might even be four, but it's at least three leagues apart. 
And Sheffield United, you know, a team that looked destined to go back automatically to the Premier League from the championships there, a team that's absolutely flying when it comes to their domestic form. And, you know, you go into this game, score two minutes in through Ollie McBurney. You know, this game seemed like for a lot of people, I'm sure like it was, you know, that was it. It's going to be a routine win for Sheffield United. It's going to be maybe a two or three or four nil. But, you know, Wrexham, absolutely fair place. And they they got back to 1-1 and took the lead at 2-1. Sheffield did equalise, but then... With the 85th minute gone, Wrexham did take a 3-2 lead, um, which, you know, were, they were seconds away from, you know, causing one of the biggest upsets in recent years. Um, but then Sheffield United did spoil the party right at the end with a header at the near post. And it will go to a replay. So there's still hope for Sheffield United, for Wrexham. And you know, they will go to Bramall Lane. So it's a good away day for the fans and for the players. But... Um, their, their journey probably ends there. I think Sheffield will win at home there. But you know that game was absolutely cracking. It was end to end. You know it, it was sort of relentless. The fans were brilliant from what I could hear from in the stadium and from you know, what Fogden was saying on his YouTube video. It just sounds like an amazing atmosphere, and you could really hear it in that video as well. And it's um, I think it was portrayed really well in the BBC coverage. Um, so yeah, that for me was the. Was the uh, game of the weekend? I think there was there wasn't really any of the games that came close to that. So our next category uh, is going to be a moment that got you angry. Um, I mean, maybe there's a week that didn't get anyone angry. So you know, this one is one in the future that could easily be you know blank for some people if there was nothing really happened. But um, Ryan, back to you. Um, we'll start with you again. So Syria, anything got you angry this week in the league? Not really. Um... I wouldn't say angry, more I was a bit bemused to be honest by um by Jose Mourinho porting his uh, his Roma team to to take a photo after the game after they'd just been beaten by Napoli. And uh, it's a strange one because he's the only one celebrating it out of the whole squad. Um <laughs> I mean he's sunk to a new low if he's celebrating losses. I mean, I know he's up against Probably the most informed team in Europe right now, but even still, that was um, that was really weird. So, yeah, not not angry, just strange. Yeah, my the same as Ryan. Really, there wasn't really anything that got me angry, but a little bit disappointed in Elche's Pedro Bigas. He he got a straight red for being a last man. You know, you know, those sort of he pretty much had the ball, lost it, and then kind of rugby, like kind of rugby tackled um, this Sevilla player, and it was actually a yellow card the referee gave, but obviously got told to look at VAR and change it to red card. At the time, there was only one nil down, but then yeah, they went on to lose three uh, nil in the end. Uh, they Sevilla scored two goals within two minutes after that, so yeah, a bit disappointing there. They weren't really in the game anyway, but you know, having eleven men is a little bit is better than having ten. And yeah, after that, it was just an uphill battle. And also, Elche still haven't got a win. I was also looking to see the worst runs after nineteen games as well. And there's only one team that's had a worst record after uh, nineteen games. I know Elche have only played eighteen, but can anyone guess who that was in the ninety seven ninety eight season? Can anyone guess who that was? Oh. Real Mallorca as a guess? Nope. Tenerife? Uh, nope. Uh, it was Sporting Gijon. Uh, they played 19 games. Uh, so they lost 
um, sorry, they won none of Sabres, obviously Elche drew three and lost 16. So, yeah, Elche have the second worst record at the moment. And, yeah, they're currently on six points. So, yeah, they're probably going to be certain to go down. But we'll just have to wait and see if they have the worst uh, league season in La Liga history. I think the lowest points tally was 30, 30 points. So, yeah, we'll have to just wait and see to see if they actually do get their first win and how much points they can get this season. So, yeah, it might be a bad season all around for them. Yeah, you mentioning there that they still haven't um, got a win. I'm, I'm looking now at the history of, of football and sort of looking at teams that have gone a whole season um, without a win. I mean, looking at now, there's there's teams like it's Gibraltar, Phoenix, and so I think there's leagues like that. There's Ukrainian Second League in 2010-11. But looking at the leagues that we sort of, you know, we would know. I mean, there was a, actually um, in 2017-18 season, um, Brecon City in the second division of Scottish football drew four and lost 32 in 36 games. Wow. Um, in Icelandic league, there was a team that drew four and lost 18 out of 22. There was a team in Slovenia in 2019-20 that uh, in 36 games drew 12 and lost 24 um, but I don't think looking at this, we have we had any really in the top top leagues of English football, uh, or Spanish football, or Italian football, anything like that. Um, although in 2016, Gremio Bureri lost all 19 matches of the Campionato Paulista Serie A3, which is looking at it now, it's the third level of the Sao Paulo State Professional Football Championship. So yeah, that's um some high level football there. Um. <laughs> Melbourne got me angry. Um, now, you're obviously yeah, a Liverpool fan. You, everyone's poised at me to say Liverpool's lost to Brighton in the FA Cup. But at this point, I'm, I'm, I wasn't even surprised. I actually, it's the first time in my life I've actually gone to a game against Brighton and thought we were going to lose a game. I've genuinely got, we had a good record against Brighton re- or in recent, recent years, especially at the Amex more than Anfield. And, you know, I actually went into this game for the first time ever I can think of against Brighton, actually thinking we we're going to lose. I had no expectations, you know. Um, I mean, getting angry, I annoyed myself because I, I'm actually in Brighton at the moment. I, I was there last weekend. I could have gone to the stage and sample in the atmosphere. And also, I know the team bus did actually come out with all the fans around them. So that would have been cool to see like, people like Fabinho and Salah that you whiskers away from me. But, you know, that's fine. I've seen games enough time at Anfield and otherwise. But got me angry was, was Chelsea. I mean, this transfer business they've got is really getting me angry because whilst on the one side, I completely get why he's doing it. It is actually good business, but it's just so annoying seeing all all these um all these transfers happening and it's just them seem to be just getting rid and just completely just avoiding any FFP rules. And I think that that's what gets me more angry than anything else. The fact that FFP FFP rules have allowed this to happen. I don't think there should be I think it's shown again why there needs to be something done because Chelsea have now set a model for me that a lot of teams probably will follow if they don't get clamped down on it. I think I can see City following this routine. I can see Man U doing it. PSG, you know, I can see teams all these money. I think if teams do adopt this, this method and they don't get sanctioned for it, I think we're going to see even more of a disparity that we already are seeing um, with the top teams and not top teams. I mean, don't get me started on, on the five subs rule. Um and yeah, for me, it's just, I think Chelsea's new owner, Todd Bolly, I think he, whilst, you know, there's definitely less connotations than there was in Bramovich with the whole what's going on at the moment. But I just think that it got me angry because there's just so much, so much wrong about this. I mean, 
500 million pounds in in six months in two windows it's just absolutely absurd and i don't really know how it's been allowed and i'm really annoyed that it's been actually allowed they managed to find this loophole because i think teams are going to follow suit and i really aren't excited for what could be the future of football i think we are turning more and more into a you know i think they are slowly turning football into you know a league like like the american league where he's got you know the top team super teams and then it's just yeah for me it's not good and I, I don't like I don't like what's happening um right our next category we are going back to Ryan we're going to start off with Ryan again before heading to Naeem but any changes to the league and the top of the table and bottom of the table and the top goal scorer and obviously for myself obviously myself I won't be bothering this because there's no table this week for me to go over so um yeah back to you Ryan for Serie changes yeah I mean there's been some Significant changes, obviously, because of what has happened with Juventus. But uh, Napoli are now 13 points clear. So, in my opinion, they've pretty much sewn up the title already. Um, as I mentioned earlier, because of Milan's awful form, they've dropped to fifth in the league now. So, there's probably six clubs going for three places now, three remaining Champions League spots as Napoli, as I say, I've got that first one pretty much done and dusted. So it's going to be interesting um, because of the resurgence in form that we've seen from from Roma, Lazio and, and Atalanta, along with the two Milan clubs. It's going to be a good sort of scrap, really, between those clubs out of who gets Champions League football. Um, Juventus are, are out of that equation completely. You know, they went from second and now in 13th now. Um, obviously, the defeat at the weekend has, uh, has not helped out at all. And even if they were in great form, it would have been a poor order for them to catch the top four. Now, they've simply got no chance and uh, it's going to be an interesting summer in Turin, um without European football, it looks like, because... I think uh, some of the big clubs may may now look at the likes of Dusan Vlahovic and Federico Chiesa, along with maybe a couple of other players, as attainable targets now um, for maybe less than what they're actually valued at. So that could be um, that could be one worth watching. And then just lastly, at the bottom of the table, it looks like already Cremonese and Sampdoria are both set to to go down. Um, neither have got many points. I think Cremonese have eight points. Sampdoria have one or two more than that, but they're both quite a distance now from safety. And as I say, they're both in poor form. So unless something drastic changes, I could well see both of them go down. I'd be ashamed to see Sampdoria go down as well. Such a historic Italian club. And obviously uh, it's more down to the financial trouble that they're in. I think to see them where where they are right now but yeah um that's uh that's about as much as i've got to add about the state of the league table yeah in the in the league the top six positions there's not been any changes there down on the bottom obviously out trade is still 14 points from safety so obviously they still remain there a few teams severe have moved up about two or three spaces uh got a slim chance of maybe getting conference league football there Currently, 10 points behind Real Betis, who are in sixth place. 
Um, not yeah, not too much places, not too much changes really. A few teams have gone up one space, so not too much there. Um, like I said, it's part of races obviously between Barcelona and Real Madrid. Uh, Real Madrid, they just got to keep winning, but with Barcelona, they just they just they're not they're not conceding any goals. They're you know just they're not scoring freely at the moment, but. It's it's pretty pretty much theirs to lose at the moment. Uh, Real Sociedad they're in a good position for Champions League football. They're eight points in front of fifth place Villarreal, who lost on the weekend. So I reckon the top four will probably stay like that. Atletico Madrid's either in third or fourth place. They're five points behind Sociedad. So yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, for for Conference League. Probably say from eighth place, Osasuna. They got twenty eight points. They can. They're only three. They're only three points uh, from Real Betis. So, yeah, it's 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 kind of filtering out a bit now as we get into the second half of the season. So, yeah, not too much changes. It's yeah, just whether teams can go on a bit of a run now and see if they can get um, any sort of European football now. Yeah, and. I actually, you know, this is my of whilst before we go on to our next category, we actually will mix it up and do the transfers next. So I want to get your thoughts on on this, particularly you, Ryan. Um, is the amount of Tottenham and Arsenal players currently playing in France and Italy? I mean, I was looking at the, obviously the transfer that came out today. Obviously, Jed Spencer's gone to Rennes on loan. But Harry Wings is on loan at Sampdoria. You know, you've got Joe Roden on loan at Rennes. And you've got Destiny, Dugi, Udinese, and Arsenal, of course, have loaned out players as well. So they've obviously also, you know, let people like likes of, I mean, you know, Lacazette playing, playing in France now. You've got Guendouzi playing for Marseille, both obviously permanent transfers. There just seems to be a lot. And obviously you've got people like, you know, Chelsea players, like, you know, like Ross Barkley and, you know, Aaron Ramsey in playing in France. And there just seems to be a lot of ex Premier League players at the moment who are, who are applying their trade in um, France and Italy. Yeah, I mean, we've got obviously uh, Nuno Tavares at Marseille, who's having a very up and down season for them. And um, one player, actually, a notable player who is having an incredible season uh, playing in France at the moment is um, Falaran Balogun, currently for, mm. for Reims. Obviously, there's an interesting story of Reims anyway, but um, I've actually just seen on Twitter that Balogun scored a hat-trick tonight and he's now the leading goal scorer in Ligue 1 ahead of both Mbappe and Neymar, which wow, some achievement, um, the form that he's in. But obviously, the the story for Reims is just, it's just mental. You know, they've got a coach who I think he's 32 or 31. 30, I think he's 30, yeah. Yeah, only a year or two ago was he coaching, I think, Preston under 10s. He's now managing Reims. Um, he's a football manager sort of addict. And I think he's had 12 or 13 games in charge and he hasn't lost one yet. Nope. I think something they also, they also get fined apparently around 22 grand a game because he doesn't actually have a, a continental pro license yet, which is insane but obviously um he's doing the job and he, they earned themselves a point obviously at the weekend against PSG that last minute goal from Balogun himself so um mad really what's going on in France 
Yeah, that's, it's an amazing story, and I think that's um, for anyone, like even like yourself, Ryan, but other people who you know who like to do a bit of um, you know, of of um, championship manager and footy manager and stuff like that. I think that's um, a sign for everyone that you know that you can um, you can also become a manager in France. So um, yeah, fair play to him. He's done a sensational achievement there to do what he's doing. But we are going to now go on to our penultimate part of the episode, which will be our. But let's speak on one week only, our best and worst transfers of the window. So uh, back to Ryan, we'll start with you again before heading to Naeem and myself with our best and worst transfers. So Ryan, take it away. I mean, this isn't going to be a long answer for me because literally nothing happened in <laughs> Serie A this transfer window. And I mean, nothing. I, I didn't think... Anything did happen anyway, but I had to double check and I went through all the clubs and I saw nothing. Probably the most interesting one was um, Barlac going from uh, Verona to Fiorentina for around 8 million euros. Apart from that, nothing else really, really caught my eye. I mean, I think the interesting one actually is uh, is Florian uh, Talvan, formerly um, of Marseille back in the day went out to Mexico with uh, Tigre, which was quite a surprise to everyone a couple of uh, seasons ago. Um, he's now moved to Udinese on a free transfer. And on his day, he's a very, very good winger. So that could be um, a shrewd acu- uh, acquisition for, uh, for Udinese, who obviously had a great start to the season and then went into free fall. But hopefully um, he can help them. So, yeah, that's really the only notable ones to to mention yeah same with ryan yeah not there wasn't too much activity in the league in january it's mainly free transfers loan deals but i'll say the best out of the ones i've seen was iosi perez he's gone on loan from leicester to real betis till the end of the season um, i reckon it, it could be a good signing for obviously for the rest of the season you know, the bolsters are attack. He can he can play up front or he can play off both the wings. And it's a loan signing. So, you know, if it doesn't work out, then he'll go back to Leicester. You know, he's kind of been out of favour at Leicester, mainly many being a bench player. So yeah, he's going back to his um native country. So I reckon he'll probably do well there. Because Real Batiste, they don't really score many goals. Usually like one nils or two ones. I think the most they've scored in um so far this season is three goals in one game. So they're not they're not a team that do score a lot of goals. They are the lowest scorers out of the top six teams currently in La Liga. So I reckon he'd probably do well there on loan. And like I said, there wasn't really too much to pick from. So that this was the best one I could could really see, to be fair. So yeah, Isaac Perez from Leicester to Robetis on loan for the rest of the season. Um yeah, for me, I think yeah, the three chances that stand out for me in particular. Um I think one I like is Sabitzer's loan moves from Man U. I love Kaylon Navas's move to Nottingham Forest. I don't know how they've managed to get someone like him. But for me, <laughs> this is going to please both of you. I think the best transfer this window is going to be Jorginho's to Arsenal. Because you've got it for £12 million, which is, in this current market, an absolute bargain, an absolute steal. He's a guy who, you know, he is very comfortable on the ball. And I think he suits Arteta's, game, Arteta's style of football. And I think he's got the experience that a lot, a lot of players who are involved in this title race will have. Even though he's not, he's not won a Premier League himself. He's won a, a, a European Cup final, both Europa League and Champions League. He's won the Euros and been an integral part to every one of those winning sides. So I think for me, 
Jorginho is, you know, whilst he's not the player he was maybe of two years ago in the, in the Euros, I think that was probably the best I've ever seen him. At the same time, again, for that cheap and even just as a influence in the dressing room, I think that it's an absolute steal. Um, now, this one for me is going to break my heart for my worst transfer of the window. Um, it's Cody Gakpo. Um, I have been critical in our group chat, as well as talking to my friends about um, not so much the player, but more the fact that we really need to strengthen somewhere else. And for me, whilst I get the fact that we know we were playing the Ox, I think four games in a row left wing before we bought Gakpo, so I get that we needed some attacking reinforcements, but I think midfield was there to take. I think Amabat, you know, could have got him for £40 million. Tielmans, who's out of contract in the summer for free, I think that you can get him for quite cheap in the January window. And I think that whilst Gakpo was added depth to a position that we were struggling in, um, I think midfield was definitely more of an issue. And I think that Gakpo has come in as really, albeit it's been, what, a month since he's been here. He's not been one thing that's impressed me. Not one thing, but I am fully aware that it is only a month in. But I think not so much for the player, but more the fact that it is we could have strengthened in other areas. I think I'm going to give the worst transfer to Cody Gakpo. Now, the final um, category we're going to do is going to be the performance of the week. So that could be an individual player. could be a team as a collective. Um, so Ryan, starting with you again for your performance of the week. Um. Again, so many, so many options. Whether he, whether I go to a team or a player, you got teams. Monza would be a standout. Um, players, Osimhen for Napoli, Gavarajskilia. The one I'm probably actually going to go for is um. It's the one I mentioned earlier, Dominico Brolardi uh, for Sassuolo, because not only did he did he get a goal himself, but he assisted three of the other goals, um, which is you know an outstanding outstanding match really just for him. So you know I, I mentioned he loves scoring and beating Milan just in general really. So I think it's, it's hard really not to give the performance of the week to to anyone else. My performance of the week, I've gone for an individual player as well. I've gone for Real Sociedad's Alex Ramiro in goal. You know, he kept a clean sheet out of Bernabeu. Not many teams go there and do that. You know, Bernabeu's a hard, hard place to get points from. He made seven saves in total to obviously keep the clean sheet and keep Real Sociedad on Real Madrid's toes. They're obviously three points behind them at the moment. You know, if they lost, it would have been six points and and the gap would have started to open up. But, yeah, they're having a good season so far. Uh, you know, they could even steal that second place. Real Madrid have... It still still looks good, but, yeah, they, they keep dropping points. So, yeah, I'm going to go for Alex Ramiro. Sorry, Alex Ramiro. With seven saves and a clean sheet coming away from the Bernabeu. Very impressive stuff. Um, For me, it's a team, and I've mentioned this game about four times already, but I'm going for Wrexham. I think that still what they did to keep the game and be almost keep the game competitive first of all, then almost be within a whisker of winning the game. I think I have to give Rex and the, the the credit here. There was no other real shocks, um, so I can't really say anyone else. I think I have to really praise um, 
Wrexham are certainly not praising Haaland, who's proven to me more and more to be maybe a bit of a stat padder, but um, that's my controversial take of the week. As we will end it on that bombshell, um, this has been the Eurotrip Football Podcast. I've been Andy, this has been Ryan, this has been Naeem, and we will see you guys for our next episode.